Hello, good evening, and welcome to Seascapes. On tonight's programme, a new deep water pier in Rossaville after a 20 year wait, and protests over working conditions endured by some migrant workers in the fisheries sector in Ireland. Last October, the Law Department in Maynooth University published a report on the experiences of non-EU workers in the Irish fishing industry. They collected testimony from migrant fishers and heard of ongoing abuses in the sector. Following that, the government established an interdepartmental group to look at the type of work permits issued in the fishery business and they asked the stakeholders to make submissions. Migrant fishers coming to Ireland get a different type of work visa than most other people. It's called the Atypical Work Permit Scheme. It's administered by the Department of Justice, unlike most other visas, and it ties the worker to one employer for the duration of the visa. This week, the International Transport Workers Federation were at the Department of Justice to hand in their submission. Union officials were joined there by a group of fishermen who told me of their experiences in the industry. You'll find some of what they have to say pretty disturbing. But first, I met with the Union Fisheries campaign leader. Introduce myself first, Michael O'Brien from the International Transport Workers uh, Federation on the fisheries uh, campaign lead. So my brief is to advocate um, and organise amongst the uh, migrant non-European fishers working uh, on Irish uh, vessels. So why we're here today is that following a, a searing report by the University of Maynooth Law Department last October uh, that concerning the experiences of non-EEA fishers uh, working on Irish uh, vessels, the government uh, announced that they were going to conduct a review of the atypical work permit scheme, which has now been in existence uh, for six years. They invited uh, submissions from various stakeholders, including ourselves. I thought it was important to have a media occasion because people will understand that many of the guys who are representing it, they're out at sea today or even if they're not at sea, uh, they will be decidedly nervous about coming here today in front of the media because of what they fear that might precipitate in terms of a rupture uh, with our uh, vessel owner, uh, employer and then of course many of the guys who we represent are undocumented and and coming outside the Department of Justice like again, uh, you can understand why they would be decidedly nervous um, about, about doing that under different circumstances, uh, for a government review, it would be sufficient to uh, just uh, send in our submission and leave it at that. But we did invite the media today because we do feel it's necessary to get a bit of uh, discourse again in Irish society. Uh, we're also trying to attract, again, the attention of public representatives because the submission itself, there's two main aspects uh, to it. One is that it, it's a searing <laughs> criticism of uh, the various government departments who have had oversight of how this scheme has run over the last uh, six years. So the very guys who are conducting the review, we're subjecting to criticism. Now, it's nothing personal against them, but, uh, you know, we substantiate our criticisms in the report itself and, you know, we can get into the details if people have uh, questions. But it's not just a question of raking over uh, the failure of the atypical scheme to regularise the sector uh, or the failure of the atypical scheme to safeguard uh, the working conditions uh, of fishers and their welfare and their human rights. It's not just that, but we are advocating the, the radical reforms that are necessary to, to liberate our guys from the situation that they found themselves in, where either they are in the scheme and tied to their vessel owner-employer year on year and unable to get out of a, sometimes a very abusive and exploitative situation, 
uh, or if they're undocumented, all the precarity um, and insecurity uh, that goes with that. So what we're advocating is two key things. There's many, many recommendations. Some of a very technical character about maritime law and so on, which I won't get into now. But the two key uh, demands we're making is that, A, as a minimum, the atypical scheme has to go and the fishers uh, integrated into the Department of Enterprise, Trades and Employment uh, Critical Skills uh, permit scheme, uh, which, you know, and as a trade union organisation, we don't tend to enthuse about any permit scheme because by their nature they're, they're of a discriminatory character, they're discriminating on the basis of national origin. But from the perspectives of the migrant fishers, both documented and undocumented who we represent, the critical skills permit setup is far, far more advantageous. Uh, there's a decent income threshold of, of 32 grand per year, as distinct from the, the typical 21 grand that, that some of our guys are on, in fact, less than minimum wage. But also, in terms of visa status, uh, whereby with the critical skills permit, you're only tied to your employer for a maximum of one year after which you can progress to a stamp for visa and have mobility within the sector or, you know, or even leave fishing and move on to do other things. So there are the two key uh, demands. And the last thing I just want to say is that we have the cohort of undocumented fishers as well, some who have never been documented. We reckon there's some 200 fishers who are currently undocumented who were documented at some point within the last four years. And those guys, some of whom have been in the country you know, for eight, nine, ten years, are being excluded from the scheme. So they're languishing in an undocumented situation. And they're really asking me, how is it they've been here so long, they fell out of the scheme recently, sometimes because of injury or acrimony with their employer, and uh, they can't avail of Minister McEntee's scheme. So we're looking uh, for these guys to have a path to have their visa stamped for as well, so that we once and for all regularise the sector and guarantee uh, decent work and the protection of their human rights. So, Michael, just can you explain to me how these men with you here are treated differently than, say, maybe their sister or their cousin is a nurse and they come to the country, they're treated in a completely different way? OK, well, the vast majority of non-EEA workers uh, in Ireland uh, are in on one of two de Department of Enterprise Trade and Employment Permit Schemes, either the Critical Skills Permit Scheme or the General Workers Permit Scheme both of which uh, where you have applied uh, income thresholds that range from 27 to 32,000 euro per year, where you have a, a, a fixed time frame uh, uh, by which they can uh, advance onto a visa stamp forward to give them mobility so that they're not tied to employers forever and a day, whereas with the atypical scheme... OK, so what kind of people are we talking about there? Well, we're talking about, well, if you go to the Department of Enterprise Trade Point website, you see all manner of, uh, of workers that are, you know, that are in, in various sectors like of skill work where they can't readily fill those vacancies uh, from within Ireland or within the European Union for that matter. Also outside the Department of Justice that day were a group of these fishermen and they were all men who found themselves in difficult situations. These men have no work visas at the moment and they're nervous about being identified. But I spoke to some of them and they told me of their circumstances. Your circumstance, what's your work circumstance at the moment? Where did you come from? How long have you been here? I came from Egypt. I'm here like from 2016. Yeah, I started uh, working in uh, May 2016. Yeah. I was working from uh, May 23 until November this, uh, last year. And now I'm not working. Okay. Did you have a visa in that time? In the last uh, yeah. five years? Yeah, contract. Okay. Contract, yeah. And how has that worked for you? It was very hard. Uh, working every day, fishing in every week. Working how many, in the how many hours a week? A week, every day, like uh, at fishing or in the beer. Well, I can count in like 
it's too much. Uh, I was working uh, when we go fishing from the first shot until the end of the day, no stop. When we come uh, landing, we take the net in the beer, mending, fixing stuff, and working in the other boats as well in the same company. Okay. So never stop. I got my legs very bad, my eyes, I got my health is very bad now. And what was the pay like? How much were you paid? Uh, 300 and uh, 50, uh, 350 for first couple of years, and then per 300. Week. Yeah, yeah, and then 365. And how did you? How did that contract end, or what happened in the end? What happened? It's because uh, I was asking the owner for my bonus and uh, to get some rest, and that's why he he refused to. To, go, to, to renew the contract. Okay, so what are you doing now? Sitting at home. Okay. I was, I, I came uh, from outside Dublin for the ITF and now not working. I left with uh, uh, two friendies for two months and then I moved to other friendies and now no, no home now. What are you going to do? Nothing. I'm just waiting to get any stamp or something to work anywhere because I can't work now. I can't work because I'm not legal now. I'm, I can't work because of my health is very bad. They were like slaving, slaving us. You have to work, you have contract. If you refuse, I, uh, I will cancel your, uh, your contract. So we have all, we have uh, family and we have to go see. I'm, I didn't go see my wife or my son uh, over two years now, so I don't know. We hope yeah. we hope they will give us a stamp before. Okay, can I ask you how long have you been in this country and what are your work circumstances now and your circumstances? Yeah, I've been here in uh, eight years now. From where? From Egypt, and uh, I have a uh, work permit for four years. Finished in the 2020, then I can't uh, have a now. Okay, why did that work permit end? Because no money, you know, and the hard work. You were working for four years with one employer? No, different. I changed it for maybe one time. Okay. And after now, I work in uh, here one trip, here one trip, and let's uh, need me for working, but I have no boat to stay in. Okay. Did you have a visa in that time? Not time, no. I finished last August. You, you don't have a visa since last August? Yeah. What, why did that visa finish? I don't know. Because I, you know, I have no boat to stay in and I can't get a new, one, new contract. I'm, I have to, I'm looking now for stamp for or stamp or anything to work in. Because if you go any boat, every time you have no beaver, you have no beaver. You understand me, and uh, I have to stay here, no back Egypt, no come. Okay, when you were working for those four years with the visa, what was the work like? Was it very hard? Or? Yeah, hard, yeah. How many hours a week? Too much, too much. Working every day and the night, no stop. Sometimes okay. stop five, six hours in summertime. And uh, 
all time working, working and go harbor again, landing and fix the nets and do everything, then back home, fishing again, maybe two, three trips, no stop. And where did you live in that time? Live in the boat. So you were on the boat the whole time? Yeah, yeah, for maybe for one more month or something, sometime in summertime. And to stay in the boat, what we do, only working, you know. How much were you paid per week for that? He was uh, paying me every week 350. And uh, maybe after six or four months, he get a uh, bonus. Sometimes, sometimes no bonus. And every time talking shit, I, I suck to you, you know. I, you have my contract, you do, you know what I mean. What would you like to see happen now? I, I, I'm looking for a visa, you know, I, I have to, I want to be illegal, you know. Some people now uh, was undocumented and they get uh, for new scam, you know. And for us, we don't know what we do now. Okay. We have no, I have, uh, I have before two solicitors now and I pay money and they make application for sending and they know back to me. Okay. I pay just to pay money and no answer, you know, I, I don't know what I do now. You have family in Egypt? Yeah, I have uh, my wife and I have two kids in Egypt. When did you see them last? One year now. Okay, mm-hmm. hopefully you'll get home soon. Yeah, yeah, I hope so, yeah. And that was outside the Department of Justice just this week. The fishing industry denies that exploitation is commonplace. And in recent years, I've met many non-EU fishers who are happy working here and there is mutual respect between boat owners and crew. But there's no denying the experiences of those two men and there are many more like them. Here is Michael O'Brien of the International Transport Workers Federation again. They want to see an end to the atypical work permit scheme which ties a worker to one employer. And the point we're making is that we, we know uh, because the Bordis Govara, the Seafood Promotions Agency, who've written on the issue of, uh, of the recruitment crisis in the sector, their business and seafood report last year said, described the fishers as skilled workers and, and alluded to the fact that there's difficulty with recruitment um, and retention. Bordies of our are, have conducted a labour force survey uh, last year uh, that's due to be published, where again they're inquiring about why the sector is not more favourable uh, or identified as a favourable area of work for Irish and EU citizens. Uh, now, we have issues with the metho- methodology of that uh, labour force survey. They're looking for vessel owners to disco- disclose the composition of their crew, and they're not going to disclose the undocumented workers. But anyway, I, I, I hope and expect that their, their labour force survey will again. Uh, reiterate what's already been said, that there's a recruitment crisis. Like, there's only 230 live atypical permits spanning the 174 eligible vessels. How are these boats being crewed? Really, how are they being crewed? I don't think it would be a big ask in that, from that point of view. I think in terms of from the experience of the fisher, it would be a radical positive transformation of their situation. It would be very empowering for them. It would give them some leverage over their vessel owner and employer. Uh, the vessel, if the vessel owners as, as a collective knew that the fishers they're employing now have a mobility... Uh, and, and can go elsewhere with relative ease to find alternative work, even if it's outside fishing. I think that, that would force them to up their game and to improve standards. Uh, so it's radical uh, from that perspective. Like in terms of the numbers involved and relative to the, you know, what they're saying is involved with the documentation scheme, I don't think it's a massive ask. How many of these visas are operating in the fishing fleet and how many people do you believe are undocumented in that fleet? Right. So there are 230 live active permits in, in the fleet of 174 we estimate that there's up to 200 uh, formerly documented uh, fishers, who, most of whom are, are still on vessels, or, or others may have moved on to other work, or they might dip in and out on, on a casual, kind of odd-jobbing basis. And then there's an unknowable quantity of guys who have never been uh, documented. From the very inception of the atypical scheme, uh, we reckon most 
of the undocumented were never uh, enrolled in the first place. So there's probably a several hundred of them uh, as well. When you say 200 out of 174, is that 174 trawlers? It's 174 of the largest vessels. Basically, vessels over 15 metres in length um, are eligible uh, to employ uh, these guys under the scheme. So these are, these are the largest 170 out of the entire fleet of 1,900. There's some, some category exceptions, but I'll get very, very technical if I get into all of that. Michael O'Brien, Fisheries Campaign Lead in the International Transport Workers' Federation. And particular thanks to those two men who spoke to me about their experiences in the Irish fishing industry. Having reported on this area for many years, I've no reason at all to doubt anything they said, and it's a subject we'll be returning to again in the future. Now, nine studies, eight marine ministers, and a campaign lasting 20 years. The Connemara Harbour of Rosseville has to be the most studied in the world. That's according to the Harbour Development Group's secretary, Cahill Grunel. But earlier this week, Marine Minister Charlie McConnellogue announced a €25 million Euro deepwater key for Rosseville. He's hoping that it will benefit both the fishing industry and the development of a hub for offshore wind. Lorna Siggins was at the launch of the new Rosseville Harbour and spoke first to Marine Minister Charlie McConnellogue. Really important day for Rosseville and delighted to be able to, uh, with the Cabinet this morning, sign off investment here, which will see the facilities massively improved and enhanced tremendously the capacity for Rosseville to develop and build on its fishing industry here, and indeed in particular as well to attract more fish for processing, and also look into the future to station Rosseville in a place where we can service the offshore wind energy in the year ahead, because that's going to be a really significant new part of our economy, uh, exciting employment opportunity for the West Coast, and exciting potential as well in terms of course of renewable energy targets and becoming a lot more sustainable um, but Rosseville can very much be at the centre of that future and there's real potential coming out of this platform that will be enabled now through this peer investment uh, to build further jobs in the years ahead. And do you think it's too late for fish processing because the factory did close in 2018? Well, I think one, one of the challenges here in Rosseville is the lack of capacity to be able to attract larger boats in because of the um, we have about 320 metres of pier spaces at the at the moment but the, the the deep water capacity isn't there so what this 25 million euro investment that i've announced today will do is develop another 200 meters of pier space but it will uh, increase the depth at that pier by 70 percent on what it is at the moment so that will enable larger boats from the irish fleet to come in and also larger boats from uh, international fleets to come in as well and the capacity then to look at growing the processing industry here again as well and that's something i look forward to working with the fishing sector here in galway to do uh, and to, to to, to maximise that capacity for growth in the time ahead. Okay. Uh, just in relation to events of the last couple of weeks, are you delighted with the victory for the Irish South and West Fish Producers Organisation? I, I think it was a really good outcome and I think um, you know the South and West Organisation and the fisher representatives worked very well with the government. I think it was a really good combined effort and I think it took both the government and the fisher representatives working together to get the message across that we didn't want it in our waters, um, but also to get the message across that of the damage that it was going to do fish and, and, and protect the livelihood of fishers working in, and fishing in that area. And it was a welcome outcome to see that recognised by the uh, Russian embassy and to, to see them move. Of course, it's not, we don't, it's not activity we want to see in our eco- exclusive economic zone. I think Minister Coveney got that message across very strongly and clearly to the Russian ambassador, as did, of course, or official representatives and I think it was a good outcome overall then. Hello, Cahal Grinnell and Shog Rooney Kosh the Takiak the Caliphate Russaville. Cahal, this has been a long campaign. 
over 20 years. Did you ever think you'd see this day? Definitely, it was a long campaign. I think our committee was formed in 2002. I think the first report on the feasibility of doing a deep water pier in Russellville was done by HGL O'Connor in 1999. So we went on from there. We had a good bit of good luck when Frank Fahey was made Minister for the Marine and he took a, a particular interest in it and he believed in the project from day one. We got planning permission and made a start on it at that stage. We didn't think we'd be waiting another 20 years for it to come to fruition. In the meantime, I think we had about eight ministers in the role. We met most of them, and not all of them came to Rosseville. We had to go to meet some of them. I think there had been about nine studies, feasibility reports, cost-benefit analysis done in the meantime. So uh, we are the most studied uh, port in the country, if not in the world. And there is no doubt at all but that it will be a major success because every possible avenue has been explored and they have all come out very positive I'm happy to say I suppose back in 2016 uh, the Taoiseach came to Russellville Enda Kenny and that was the first time a Taoiseach ever came made an official visit to Russellville and a very important day and following that visit a new application was made for planning permission and the project was put into the government's capital programme and that has been very important and has sustained us since 2016 it opened the door again to doing the project. Following that, there was a further cost-benefit analysis carried out by the department, which was actually very favourable. Just in September of last year, Udras Nogueltukta published a study of Rosseville Harbour as a possible hub for marine renewable wind energy. That's a fantastic report. The, the minister, Charlie McConnell, launched that in September of last year. And I think with, with the big push that's on towards the renewable wind energy we were ready I, I think this project will be going to e-tenders this week it will be the target for completion is within two and a half years so it's happening now this is a big day a very historic day for Rosseville and for Connemara the next job will be to make sure that we get the jobs and the employment and the spin-off from this infrastructure John Keneally, uh, you're son of the late Gregory Keneally, well known from the Iron Islands, and you're one of the very few fishermen here today. How does it feel to be a fisherman? Because you know how long it's taken for people to get this deep water key. Um, well, no, it's not too late. No, better late than never, to be quite honest. It'll benefit the port, it'll benefit the islands, and I think it's a brilliant thing. Like, yeah, it's not too late. Yeah, so, so more boats will be able to come in. The new harbour will benefit bigger boats, but there'll be foreign vessels. There won't be Irish vessels. There'll be Spanish, French, Dutch. English, but unfortunately there won't be that many Irish boats. Uh, so do you feel it'd be like a transshipment port, a bit like Castletown Bear? Well, yeah, yeah, but it'll still benefit the port and harbour dues and revenue. Yeah, it, it won't be a, it's not a bad thing, it's a good thing. Yeah. So it's good for the area? Yeah, it's very good for the area, uh, yeah. So my name is Anne-Lenny Gallagher and I'm the Cahilla or the chairperson of the board of Wuderus Nagelthartha. Yes, it's one of those overnight successes that people have been working towards for about the last 20 odd years. So it has been a long time coming, but really it's a wonderful day for Rosseville, for the Connemara Gaeltacht and really for the country as a whole, I think. Is it because of offshore renewables that this is now going ahead? I'm not sure quite what the reason is. Um, obviously, people are worried a little bit about the decline in the fishing industry, which is happening, I think, across the country. But I, I think certainly Rossville has always been known uh, as a ferry port, as a fishing port 
primarily and also tourism which is of course related to the ferrying but now I suppose we have an additional string to our bow here in that we can add onto this the very important area of renewable energy and offshore wind energy which is really coming to the fore at the moment and which I think most people understand the need for with all that's happening with climate change and the awareness of what we can do to ameliorate the situation in that regard. And this fits into the Uderos's own plans? It absolutely does because I suppose a very strong thread going through all of Uderos's strategy is an emphasis on natural resources and I suppose 40 or 50 years ago, well certainly 40 years ago at the foundation of Uderos, I don't think many people would have realised that the wind was such a natural resource which it has now become thanks to all the research done in that area. So we're very much focused on building on our natural resources. We also have a strategy for the development of the green economy in the area, in the Gaeltacht areas, and also for the blue economy. And this really straddles all of those economies and all of those sectors. And that was Anna Nigarachor of Uderosna Gaeltacht finishing that report from Rossville by Lorna Siggins. And that's it for Seascapes for this week. We're back at the same time next Friday. Everything on the programme is podcast. It's on our website, rte.ie slash seascapes. If you want to contact me or the programme, maybe of an event coming up, our email is seascapes at rte.ie. If you're anywhere on or near the water over the next week, stay safe. <laughs>